Oh, yes. Keb with Let Your Light Shine. There's a little story about Keb His name is Kevin Roosevelt Moore. But he prefers Keb Why? Because he was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee, where he lives now. And people don't say Kevin in that part of the country. They say Kevin. And they don't say more. They say Mo. And he liked being called Keb Mo. <laughs> he is a five-time Grammy Award winner. And he's 70 years old now. And he is very delighted to be home and to be known in his town as Keb Mo. So I'll honor that and call him Keb Mo too. This is Lead Stories. I'm Eutrice Lead, and I'm delighted to be with you once again. Uh, we had a need for some uh, diplomatic involvement yesterday. There's a lot of noise. The whole complex where I live is undergoing an upgrade, a series of upgrades. And um, as you know, I attract the big problems. <laughs> People always want to know, now, if you have to make noise, where do you go? You go right to your trees' window. And, and you started there. So they did start it here, and it was as if they were right in my living room with their jackhammers and everything else. It was impossible. So uh, there was a detente held, and they have held off so far today, although one hopes that it... It, it applies till after lunch at least so that we can do our program without having to fight against the noise. But anyhow, everybody's got to make a living and uh, there's a way to do things. You know, you just kind of talk to people, talk to each other and you can figure things out, which is what is going on now with the United Nations, where the president of Ukraine, Vladimir Lezinsky, Zelensky, sorry, Zelensky, uh, aims to convince Congress and President Biden, of course, to be as generous as possible at this time because things are looking very bleak. The country has sustained a lot of internal damage as well as deaths. And this location, people having to move right away from one place to another, not sure that they have 
a place to live anymore. So he's asking that the United States be extra generous in its assistance to Ukraine. He's doing this by virtual uh, virtual uh, appeal. He's not there in person. He has to be right on hand in Ukraine. But some very interesting thoughts have crossed my mind about how the world works and how we are expected to make the adjustment. He's asking for $800 million to start. Uh, But the money is needed to arm its defense forces, to arm citizens, for that matter, to help people who are in dire distress, their homes having been bombed, and they are dislocated. They had to move immediately and go someplace else simply to live. So the emphasis was on survival. Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, has been upping the ante in terms of the attack on Ukraine and other parts nearby because the major intention, it seems, is to significantly enlarge Russia's reach by enlarging Russia's territory. So this is going to be an ongoing campaign and help is needed says Zelensky, and uh, we think, of course, that we have trouble. This is how sometimes people are governing under extreme duress, because the whole country is turned upside down, and they had nothing to do with it. They didn't have a vote. They didn't agree. They just found themselves attacked, and the attack is now continual. So it's a very bad situation to be in, and he is pleading today for extra generosity from the United States uh, to help so that they can acquire arms, help restore some of the infrastructure, not including bridges and so forth, but the idea that people need things to run a reasonably orderly society. And those have pointedly been destroyed. And uh, they have to be rebuilt. They have to be replaced. But this is, this is war. This is war. And we are, of course, 
we believe that, well, this isn't happening to us. It's happening to them, and that's way over there. Well, the world is decidedly smaller than we think. And so I'm asking you, how are you preparing for some possibly tough times ahead? What in the pantheon of things that you have to consider and do to prepare for a slightly different life? What emerges for you as the main task? So that's what I'm asking you today. Have you considered it yet? Is it part of your consciousness yet? That you and I and everybody else, we also are at war. We have been plunged into war by virtue of how the world works. A country asks for help, a country gives help. That immediately enjoins us. And it may not be as dramatic for the United States as it has been for Ukraine, but it's coming. It will be here. And we will, we will see the damage soon enough because we will have to cope with it. We already see the prices of things going through the roof. But that's the least of it. And what in the long list of things that you will have to consider, what are the most important things to you to have in order, or at least to feel like you have in order, and you're reasonably prepared to last a while? It's a daunting question. I, I don't dispute it. It's a daunting question. But sooner or later, we'll be discussing it because we'll have to. I also want to make mention of something that has been bothering me from day one. I talked about it a little bit. And it has to do with who runs the world, who controls things, who are the important people of the world. And if I had just landed in the United States from Mars and asking the same question, there's no no doubt as to who rules and runs the world. All important aspects of the world. We're really clear about that. This is a white world. 
everybody else is just hanging in there with the people who see themselves as powerful and as at the center of all important things. Take, for example, just journalism. Do you get the impression that CNN is fully integrated? That that is part of its power? That it has a staff that looks like the rest of the world and therefore it understands the world better than most other organizations, the answer is no. If you look at CNN for a good half hour, steadily, we're clear who's in charge of telling us the realities on the ground, who knows things, who is in charge of telling us what we need to know, because they know. That would be Anderson Cooper. He knows everything. And so we see our world through his bespectacled eyes. And this now is more than half a century after a commitment to fully integrate our own society. We have the, the, the quintessential thing of knowledge, what we know, and consequently what we don't know. We see it. It's right in front of our faces when we turn on the television. Or you listen to any news program it is white. We are to raise no questions about that. Despite the fact that they have had a long time to work on this problem, to make America, quote, democratic. And what greater democracy should we enjoy than the democracy of information? about our world. It is strictly regulated by race. And you can see it. You can see it. We're still talking about the possible nomination of an African-American woman to the U.S. Supreme Court. And she would be the first this is a kind of language we still are dealing with. In 2022, we're still using this kind of language. She's going to be the first, the only. I reject all of that. I reject it, and I reject the false promises made and the attempt to brainwash us now that, look, yesterday is a war, 
everybody in the field of journalism should be able to help cover a war. That is an expression of democracy. But it's a white man's war. Again, it was white when you started it. It's white still as you, quote, cover it. Vanishing from even the remotest corners of our mind it's this it's this strange anomaly here that I'm going to just to just put out there. At this time, both the former president of the United States and the current president of the United States and we had a discussion on this very issue. But both the former president and the current president are being given honor as people who have held and still hold the highest office of the land. Still having to defend themselves against rape. But we're not saying that. They are fully credible. They have great uh, respect paid to them. And they represent the American people. Still not having purged themselves by virtue of a trial of charges of rape. Isn't that lovely? And we dare to hold ourselves out as the leaders of this universe. Two unindicted, well, they've been indicted, one of them, and as recently as Friday, a judge in the, uh, in the Trump case spoke openly and said, this case, in this case, the, 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 how should I say, the person charged with the crime is attempting to evade justice. All of this is going on. They rule the world. These are the rulers of the world. And you still have to go it doesn't matter. You're not getting that kind of report, you see, from CNN or anybody else. The leaders of the world still have not yet uh, defended themselves against charges of rape.
Remember, I asked before. I asked a question. How comfortably are how comfortable are we with this kind of an arrangement? Why do we tolerate this? But then here is a man who has yet to answer a 1993 sexual assault charge in charge of doling out $800 million to another country, in charge of deciding who goes to war, your son, your daughter, These are the anomalies of the world, and I'm asking you now, as we get closer and closer to an Armageddon, what's important to you? 888-874-4888 is the number to call. And let's begin this discussion, but let's do, let's do it the real way. Your president is about to have the power to dole out $800 million in taxpayer money. You have to pay more money at the gas station if you, if you have a car. You have to pay more money for most everything. And uh, you didn't rape anybody. (laughs) It's American justice, after all. We'll take this short break and come back to your your questions at 888-874-4888. Just a little teaser of where we ought to be going today. You're listening to Lead Stories on PRN.FM. I'm Eutrice Lead, and the number to call is 888-874-4888. Jackie from Brooklyn, you start us off on a call. Hello, Jackie. Oh, hi, Eutrice. Let me turn off my Alexa. Alexa, off. I'm sorry. Good afternoon. All right. Thank you. I'm looking at two devices here. Um, before I go to the real serious stuff, I want to compliment you about the music. I've told you that before, but I wanted to compliment oh, you. you again today regarding the music. It's just wonderful. And um, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. All right. So. In terms of our uh, your question today, I'm, I'm not going to be before you long. I just want to add something to what you're talking about. In the Brooklyn paper, which is a local newspaper here, there was a, a announcement of a meeting where the VA Medical Administration, they want to close the VA hospital in Brooklyn and the VA hospital in Manhattan. 
and I find that absolutely shocking in light of we're on the eve of a possible war. So that is in conjunction to all the things that you just raised in your comment. So um, it's up to the people. It's up to the people to wake up, organize, and get involved. So I'm going to not talk long. I'll give someone else an opportunity. I think it's clear, you know, my position that I've stated before. And the only suggestion that I have, sorry, the only suggestion I have in terms of preparation is, you know, prepare yourself, have emergency plan, have uh, water, you know, food, um, different places that you know that you could go to if you need help, friends and family. And also, you know, stop with the material buying and just um, concentrate on having cash in your house. So if there is any kind of cyber attack on the banks, you'll have some money in your home, preferably small bills. I had gone to an emergency preparedness meeting about a year ago, and that was one of the things that they talked about, having small bills, having your medication, and, uh, you know, actually have a emergency to go bags so you'll be ready if you have to leave your home you'll be able to do that just grab the bag and go and have information points of contact where to to uh, your family members and loved ones if you get separated how would you find each other or know how to contact each other and um, the most important things on the political level people have to to, to tell the government, no, we cannot give $800 million to another government when we have people here sleeping in the subways and being moved from the subway to nowhere, you know, under the uh, present administration and the mental health crises that this country is facing and all the other crises, lack of employment and uh, the infrastructure bills and all these other bills, they're going to dip into that, that money to to fund a war, so that's uh, that's my statement. All for the right. Day. You well, thank you there. for getting us started and for making these very uh, very doable suggestions today. Thank you so much, Jackie. Uh, sorry, Gwen from New York. You're on the air. Hi, you, Therese. Um Hello, uh, every. Hi. Um, I uh, was listening to WNYC this morning, and all I could think is, you know, all the world is a stage and everybody's a player. Um, why? Um, I, 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 of course, did not like Donald Trump at all. But it was very interesting. The, the man, they had a general on this morning who was uh, the general that testified against Trump, Trump on the uh, Russiagate thing. But I did not know this general had very deep tr- uh, ties to Ukrainian. Uh, Ukraine. So it turns out he does, and, and not only does he have deep ties because he was originally born there, but now he was on uh, WNYC this morning speak, speaking in behalf of uh, air uh, of uh, air airstrikes. Um, so he was promoting that point of view that it wouldn't cause Armageddon in a World War III, uh, and that we could do it in limited ways. And I was just thinking how um, this is all been planned for such a long time. I don't think this is shocking. I think everyone should go back to uh, Hillary Clinton when she was running. 
And she said that, you know, we, we should, uh, we, when we were over Syria, she wanted to have a no-fly zone. I'm sorry, the man was promoting a no-fly zone. And when she was uh, in the debate, she was promoting a no-fly zone for Syria. Now, if we had done that in Syria, that really would have caused a, a, a battle with Russia because really who we were aiming at is Russians. So they carried this thing over. They let Trump uh, come in and be the dog of the house and pee on the furniture. But now they've gotten rid of him. But it's, it, it, was, it seems to me that there's this undergirding here of planning this war for quite a long time. And there's a lot of people at the top that think it's time that sooner or later this was going to happen and that this is the time to have it happen. And these people are so mentally ill that they actually think you could have limited nuclear strikes. And, you know, as I listened to Gary Knoll's show before your show came on, and I listened to the absolute insane people that are running the country. I mean, they're really, they're, actually, they're running the world. They're absolutely insane. They're insane uh, with, with their craziness and the pandemics and, and uh, all these uh, cooked-up schemes. And, and, I mean, they're insane. So this, this, these people don't have their two feet in reality. And I don't know if anybody who's been that high up in power ever has. But I think that... Uh, we need to be really careful, not just to be a knee-jerk reaction. We need to look at the history. And, and one of the things that I was thinking is, no, I don't want to pay $800 million to uh, put uh, more, more weapons in, in Ukraine. However, I want to say that the United States is directly responsible for this. I mean, we made a decision years ago to keep arming NATO, to keep surrounding Russia, to keep pointing our weapons on their border. And so... We knew 10 years ago, because Putin was telling us, sooner or later it's going to be enough, and, and he had enough now. I think, uh, even though, again, I, I despise Trump, I think he actually thought he would have a little leeway with Trump, but that wasn't going to happen either, because Trump, Trump uh, uh, did some very anti-Russian policies himself. So that wasn't going to happen. But I think now uh, they, they feel that they have no choice. Because NATO is is encroaching upon them uh, so so rapidly, and and this is what they felt they had to do. Now I'm not saying that I'm for this war, and I'm not, and I feel terrible about the people that are being trampled this war. But I mean, these are direct. This war is a direct response to the United States policies. It almost has nothing to do with Ukraine. It's about our policies. So, yeah, I'm a little scared, too, that, that uh, somebody said the other day New York would be, could be targeted in something like this because it, it looks like it's going to escalate, and I don't think that Putin is the kind of guy that's going to just back down no matter what we say. And uh, it looks like uh, all the big boys uh, are, are trying now to convince us that, you know, a no-fly zone may, might be okay. And once that happens, then we are fully engaged. I really believe that is uh, World War III. And I just feel terrible watching all of it. But I also want to say I feel terrible, too, about the war in Yemen and the lack of information that United States citizens have gotten about that. And the fact that it's, it's our, our armor, our guns, and our weapons that are killing those people over there. So, I mean, I, I kind of feel like I just wish the entire world population of regular people would just say, we're not going to your war at all. We're just not going to do it. We're just going to stand out. We're not going to do it. We're going to stand down, and we're not doing it. But I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think that we, especially the audience members here who already do know a lot, 
I have an obligation to keep learning more about the history of what's going on and to keep putting it out there because so many people in America are, are pacified with listening to 30-second sound bites, ridiculous sound bites uh, that, that just say, you know, Russia uh, just blindly went in and attacked this nation. That just did not happen. There was a coup d'etat. There was a change in their government. We were behind the coup. They have this new guy there, and Russia is, is feeling very encroached upon, and this, these, these policies have been going on for years, and they've been accelerated. Joe Biden was part of the acceleration. So I really wish that we just get the whole story, because I think that it's very important that people in America know the whole story. So that's, that's as much as that's what I can contribute to the story today. And no, I don't feel good about uh, to, that giving anybody that kind of money for weapons especially weapons of mass destruction. I think it's a really bad idea. When would such a proposition be okay with you? Under what conditions wouldn't you mind that the United States is giving or is contemplating giving giving $800 million to any country to defend itself? Well, first I want to say that $800 million, although it might seem a lot to us, is not that much uh, for, for our military to give away. We're still giving them the absolute minimum. We're giving them nothing, which in a way, I wonder, I wonder if at some point the Ukraine people are going to say, you know what, you got us into this mess, and you won't even give us enough, enough cash in hand for us to protect ourselves. And I wonder if that's going to drive a resentment that could drive them back over to the Russian side of things. Remember that Ukraine was part of Russia, and there's a big part of the Ukraine people that are, are, are from Russia and still speak Russian and have a, a very strong ties. So I just wonder how long they're going to tolerate the, 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 the idea of the United States basically using them, putting them in the middle of this. And I think they, they felt that they, they were getting this uh, uh, promise that we would be there if anything happened but 800 million dollars in weapons ain't going to do too much that's just a teardrop in the bucket that's just not going to help them not for the kind of help they need and so i just wonder if at some point that will drive them back into the russian side knowing that basically they've been used and they've been double crossed and they have been they have been used and double crossed thank you thanks for contributing today Marcus from Wisconsin, you're on the air. Thank you very much, Utrees. Um What you said Thank about you, Biden in your introduction, it occurred to me right away, uh, nothing you said there was not known for many, many years about him. Exactly, uh, including uh, with Biden's son. Well, who yeah. Had I had very close ties. Uh, to a topic of, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, it's, I mean, it's been a topic of casual conversation, how uh, corrupt Biden is, his abominable behavior with women. Uh, he's been a corporate stooge for, you know, going on half a century. Uh, to all of this was well known. But I think back to... Uh, again, the, the responsibility is ours. And I think back to the discussions during the last election, and I, I listened for two years to the left and the progressives justifying that they would have to support Biden, you know, because they fell once again for the fake 
two-party mafia story. Well, let's see. Do we want to drown in our own vomit with Trump, or do we want to be burned alive over a slow fire with Biden? Well, obviously, we have to be burned alive over a slow fire with Biden. It's our best choice. It's the lesser of two evils. And I, I heard this, unfortunately, from callers to your program who said, oh, well, once he gets in office, then we'll tirelessly push him to the left. Remember all that stuff? Remember that childish gibberish? And then $15 an hour disappeared, and national health care disappeared. And Biden, of course, never saw a Pentagon budget he didn't adore. He didn't get down on his knees and worship. So now we have the, I mean, the budget uh, under Biden for the military just, I mean, it dwarfs what uh, Trump was talking about. And, and he was a warmonger. So, I mean, they outdo each other from uh, administration to administration, and the, and the left and the progressives continue to play this stupid game. They tell themselves, so I've been listening to the left all my life talk about how, well, people are finally waking up. No, no, they're not. It's, they, we tell ourselves on the left this story. This charming bedtime story, we're, we're sleeping beauty, and if things get bad enough, or if they push us too far, well then, all of a sudden, one day, our consciousness will be raised, and we'll nonviolently go out into the world and just change everything as if by magic we'll know exactly what to do. I mean... <laughs> The, the reason this keeps happening is because there is no resistance to it at all. I mean, right for the last five years in Yemen, according to U.N. estimates, 337,000 innocents have been killed in Yemen. It's a NATO war against an innocent people, 70 percent of them children. Now, this is what the U.N. says about it. Do, do you hear any uh, media outrage? Is CNN barking for sanctions? Um, uh, uh, do, do you hear it? No, no. We'll give Al Salman a call. We'll give him a call, see if we can straighten, out, straighten it out in our spare time. And this is what the left in this country has sat still for for half a decade. You know, the State Department says, I mean, so the, and the media is just a joke. It's a complete joke. I mean, uh, whatever journalism is supposed to be uh, at the very top levels now, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, pick any story of international importance. Sources say, anonymous sources say, unnamed experts in the government. The State Department says unequivocally, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, it's, it's likely. I mean, you don't have to make a deep critique of, of journalism to see how false this is. All you have to be able to do is reason from A to B. And the left in this country is constantly blowing kisses at itself for its 
deep critical thinking and the other side doesn't do that. I mean, the whole thing is a joke. It, it really is. James Baker told Gorbachev to his face in 1990 that from Germany, not one inch eastward. And then uh, after Germany uh, uh, reunited, East and West reunited, they said, well, we'll have this one exception. See, we'll have this again. And Russia said, okay, yeah, you can, you can have this exception. And then after that, Poland went, right? Then Poland, uh, they got uh, Poland to join NATO. And uh, then, then after that, they just fell like dominoes. Lithuania, Estonia, and ever since then, now we are right on Putin's border, arming Nazis. By the way, does anybody in Black Lives Matter remember? I'm very curious uh, about the justification for their silence right now, because does anybody remember Charlottesville and all those cities where they were clashing with Nazis, you know, Antifa and all these people? And it was reported in the press at the time that the, um, uh, uh, the, the movement that was mainly involved, um, the uh, Rising Tide or whatever they're called, movement, rightist movement, has clear connections mentioned openly at the time in the mainstream press to the Ukrainian Azov Battalion. White supremacists were actually fueling the racists in these cities. It was openly talked about, now it's vanished. Now there are leftists running around screaming about, you know, wearing blue and yellow and wearing the Nazi Volksangel in support of these Nazis. It's crazy. People are so uninformed in this country. They, they just, I'm convinced they just can't think anymore. They're so used to some power or institution pretending to be able to tell them that it's the truth, right? Well, they wouldn't lie to me. The Washington Post wouldn't lie to me. And, uh, 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 the newspaper's $5. How could it be full of lies? It's incredible to me, Utrecht. Absolutely incredible. And we're responsible for it. We just sit and watch it like it's a show. Like, like well, could you address, could you address uh, the other half of the question? What in the coming days and months and weeks and so forth would you personally prioritize for yourself as what you need to be prepared for? Well, the first realization is, is that if we're going to change material conditions in our lives at all, it's not a private matter. It's not something you can do by yourself in private in your spare time as a hobby. When I get around to it after I'm done, uh, you know, spending the majority of my day slaving at what some capitalist tells me to do or what my boss tells me to do or my uh, self-imposed obligations tell me to do, none of that will work. That, it won't work as a hobby. If, if we don't get serious, if we don't get to be adults 
and get together on this thing and actually put up a united front uh, uh, and and learn to cross the artificial divisions they've been carefully setting up for us for the last 70 years, we're finished. Get in line. Hmm. We, we lack the most important skill. And we better get busy learning it. Thank you for your very frank and open discussion today. Thank you so much for your input. I hope people have taken to heart what you have said. Henry from Chicago, you're on the air. Hello, you three. Hello, Henry. What's going on in your neck of the woods? How are you feeling about the question today? Okay, can you repeat the question again? <laughs> oh, okay. I have it written down. <laughs> um, I've lost my question. Hold on. I just want to stay on topic uh, as much as I could. <laughs> yeah, I get it. And I'm glad about that. Um are you preparing for a rough road ahead? What are the most significant changes that you intend to make, especially in light? Today is the day that the president addresses the need for more money and more aid, direct aid, to Ukraine. Uh, what in your head is the priority item here? Yeah, so, you know, I prompted the call because I think the last two callers were just absolutely excellent, uh, Marcus and Gwen. I mean, they hit on some points that actually prompted my spirit to call, even though I had to have you repeat the question. But, you know, I think the day, the rough days are now, uh, and it is coming to the form of rough economic days. So, you know, obviously uh, corporations are using the war in Ukraine as an excuse to raise prices on everything. Um, Obviously, uh, as Marcus had uh, mentioned in his call in regards to uh, the masses and critical thinking, which we are lacking as a as a whole, um, we accept the narrative that. You know, Biden tells us, well, you know, this is the Russians' fault, that the prices are up. So they're here right now. Uh, right now, it's, you know, it's the economy. Uh, I, would, I would pretty much say in the next two months or so when campaigns start ramping up, we're going to start to have political uh, tensions because we have the midterm elections coming up. Uh, I expect to see more aggressiveness uh, from the right, uh, maybe to the point of, you know, maybe violence. Uh, when, you know, some, you know, in the, le- in the, re- in the most recent years of, of the election cycle, I'm starting to notice more and more of that. 
and the events that uh, surround, you know, these election cycles. And, you know, and that's including January 6th, which is not too far off from the 2020 election. So I can see something similar happening there. Uh, I'm not sure where that's going to be at. Uh, so we, we, you know, we've got to prepare for that. Uh, and I guess for me, you know, as far as now, when it comes to the, you know, the big global story in Ukraine, there, there has to be, we, we cannot accept the narrative that the Western media has given us. And not to say that we also accept the Russian media as well, because it seems like about 90 I would probably say about 95 to 99 percent of any coverage of this war is on one side or the other. Nobody is giving us a uh, an, a, a historical analysis, uh, a, a balanced analysis of it. And, you know, as people who, I guess for me personally, you know, I'm a person who wants peace. And so... The thing is, is that with so, so many people in this country so geared up about supporting the Ukrainians, uh, you know, and, and like I said, I don't I don't wish anybody to be forced from their homes, uh, to be bombed, to be shot at. But at the same time, there needs to be a denunciation of our part in this war. You know, I know we. You know, the Western media talks about Russia and Putin and how he's the next coming of Hitler, which, you know, I think that's very exaggerated. Like I said, Putin is not an angel. He's an oligarch. He's a manipulator. But, you know, I am not going to accept this narrative that Putin just woke up one day and said, hey, let me attack Ukraine. And that's that's not the complete story. So. There needs to be a denunciation of our government's funding of, you know, of, of this country, uh, which is fighting a losing battle. Like, how do we live with our conscience knowing that these people going up against the Russian army is going to lose? Nobody is going in there, you know, talking about peace negotiations. No, none of our diplomats, none of our... Uh, leaders, uh, including, and I would have to say this, including the Black Caucus, who, you know, we as the black people somewhat elected, they're not calling for, you know, peace talks. You know, the only people that I see talking about, you know, uh, uh, ceasefires is, you know, Pope Francis. And he gets castigated by his own church because of the fact that many people think because he's not exactly blaming the Russians for this whole thing that, you know, that he's a he's a pro-Russian, you know, uh, pope. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> All he's doing is just he just wants peace. He just wants to cease fire. And so that's that's part of what we have to do as people. We have to stand up to this because, you know, when when I when I talk about it with some people, they're like, "Well, you must be pro-Russian." Do I look Russian to you? Do I look like I like Putin? I, I'm 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 not that person. But at the same time, we've got to accept our responsibility as a country of what we are putting 
these Ukrainians. And I think the, the, the one point that Gwen had mentioned that was really on point, there might be a point where the Ukrainians are going to wake up and say, hey, you guys put us in this situation and you let us down. You're not, you're not sending troops. You're not doing the no-fly zone. And you're, you're basically put us in the situation that gets slaughtered. Now you have another country that, you know, if they happen to survive this, is going to have anti-American sentiments, uh, you know, as has been stated before. We, you know, you have neo-Nazi elements in the Ukraine, uh, which are recognized by the Ukraine government. And now if, if it comes to a point where the Russians basically either annex that country or basically put in a pro, you know, uh, a pro-Russian democracy or I mean, not democracy, but a pro-Russian government in there, they're obviously going to get rid of the Asval Battalion, Sabota movement, or whatever neo-Nazi uh, 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 recognized uh, arm of their government is, and they're going to be what many people classify as a terrorist group, because this is how ISIS is born. This is how Al-Qaeda is born. This is how all of these uh, terrorist groups, this is how, you know, many of the European uh, uh, groups uh, that, that, you know, that didn't get their independence. This is how they're born. So now we can add another list of Nazi terrorists that will probably start blowing up stuff here, start blowing up stuff in, in Europe. And then at that point, you know, we're going to go back to the narrative that happened in 9-11. Well, they don't like our freedoms. No, we created them. Hmm. Are you considering making dramatic changes in your own life and that of your family right now? Indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, I, you know, because of the fact that I, I, you know, I still have a child in school, um, I have to make that consideration. Uh, and then also, too, you know, I, I you know, it, it's rough enough when, uh, for for parents, you know, it's rough enough to have your children out here because of the fact that the world is just so, it, it, I mean, it is so much, you know, it, it, it's not civilized and you don't want your children to be tainted by the spirit of this world, to be killed by, you know, uh, this world. And, and it's like, you know, I have to make that consideration as well. But one of the things, and I think Ed had talked about this before, you know, there's a consideration of possibly moving out of this country. Wow. Well, that's a signal. We are out of time. And it was great talking to you today. Let's get together tomorrow and talk some more. Bye-bye.